agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hugged the government love. The government hugged the government love. The government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. Today, in part, well, I don't know what part it is, but we've been going out for a while, our election 2020 series, we will be discussing the first presidential debate, which was held on Tuesday, September 29th in my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. But before we do get to that, I want to let everyone know that next week's episode will once again be coming out on a Thursday instead of our regular Wednesday release so that we can discuss the vice presidential debate, which is scheduled to be held on Wednesday, October 7. All right, so we can just go ahead and get right to it here. And let's start with sort of a meta question. There's a lot made out of debate. Certainly, there's been a lot of media coverage and there'll be a lot more. But a bigger question is, well, how much do these debates really matter? So let's start with that. How much do you think that these debates really matter? Hey. Um, I think in terms of how the, it's going to sway the outcome of the election, it probably is not going to make a huge difference. Um, we've seen really historically like polls maybe shifting about two or three points during the debate season. Um, also, this is kind of an election like most people haven't seen before. We've got two very different candidates that could possibly make a difference, not even more with the debate, but maybe seeing a response with how the media is kind of going to play all of this out, um, especially seeing, depending on how people kind of take their network that they watch the debate from and their commentary after the debate, um, what kind of ideological filter bubble are they getting their information through? Are they more geared towards Fox or MSNBC? Um, just kind of seeing how that's going to play out. But overall, I'm not really sure how it's going to affect the outcome of the election, but I don't think it's going to have maybe too dramatic of a sway. Okay. Olivia. That's what I would have thought, especially based on all the responses I've seen from the debates. It seems like, you know, people who have always supported Trump um, were happy with how he performed and people who supported Biden were not happy with how Trump um, performed. And it seemed like, you know, people already had their minds made up. However, I just saw today that Biden um, had record-breaking fundraising um, in the hour after the debate ended. Um, he actually raised $4 million for his campaign. So that tells me that maybe these debates matter a little bit more and maybe Trump's behavior um, and people who were on the fence and didn't know whether they wanted to vote for Trump or Biden, maybe the way that Trump behaved um, kind of pushed some people toward Biden. Maybe it matters more this year than it has in the past. And that, that's another thing I wanted to ask is because, of course, political scientists will tell you that historically debates tend not to make that much of a difference really at all. There's oftentimes a, a short, short-lived bump in support, but generally speaking, they don't make a big difference. But is there something, kind of going off of Olivia's point, is there perhaps something unique or different about these candidates, whether presidential or vice presidential, and these debates? that you think might break that trend of presidential debates just not really mattering except uh, kind of at the margins? What do you think? Doc? I, I think it's not going to make a difference unless somebody can really drop a bomb and just bring out uh, either the good or the bad in one or the other. I mean, it. Uh, I characterized 
that debate to some of my friends is a bar fight. And nobody wins a bar fight. The only thing that happens in a bar fight is you get hurt. Uh, nobody comes away unscathed. So I, I didn't think uh, either, either candidate did real well uh, being a person who supports Trump. I mean, I, I sort of am inclined to think Trump was debating two people instead of one. But uh, still in all, I don't think it's going to make a lot of difference. At least that debate, that particular debate is. Okay. Yeah, and, and I want to focus a little bit on one comment that you made that about uh, President Trump debating two people as opposed to one, because that is a, a narrative that we've seen emerging in the last few days, certainly on uh, perhaps more media on the right. Uh, there's no question that moderator, Fox News moderator Chris Wallace uh, interrupted uh, or chastised President Trump more than Joe Biden, although the response to that is, well, President Trump actually did more interrupting by one count I saw, and I don't know how accurate this is, but President Trump interrupted either Joe Biden or Chris Wallace uh, something like 128 times as opposed to two or three dozen, I think, for Joe Biden. Again, I didn't go through and count the interruptions because, my God, I have let, let's pray my life never gets to that point. But uh, on on that point, on Doc's specific point about that, do you feel that uh, Chris Wallace, the moderator, was biased or showed some sort of anti-Trump bias? Or more generally, how good of a job do you think he did at sort of moderating that uh, that bar fight? Uh, let's see, Skyler. I feel that with... Uh... Chris Wallace, he made the best of a worst case scenario. I feel like that we all knew how this debate was going to go, that it wasn't going to be a rather professional or presidential debate because of how um, aggressive Biden and Trump have been going against each other in terms of their campaigns. There have been a lot of very, very specifically anti Biden or anti-Trump. And I feel like this debate was just going to be basically a punching match going into it. Um, and I feel like I feel like Chris Wallace held, handled himself relatively well, considering all of the interruptions Trump kept making. And I'm surprised Biden uh, wasn't interrupting Trump more when he was interrupting him, if that makes sense. Like if Biden was in his two minutes and Trump would start talking and Biden would start talking over Trump. I'm surprised that didn't happen as often. Okay. Alan. Uh, as to any bias exhibited by Chris Wallace, I do think he intervened more with Trump, but that's probably because, like I believe you suggested earlier, he kind of had to. Trump was in control of the debate, not the moderator for a lot of it. He was the one questioning Biden, which, I mean, candidates can do, but he was essentially pummeling him. It, Chris had to step up in a sense to retake control of that debate, and he had to constantly reassert himself in a way that most moderators don't. So I don't think it was biased necessarily as it was more on just trying to regain control of the forum at that point. All right. As for um, expecting this from the candidates, I'll be honest, I must be m much more naive than Skylar. I really didn't anticipate this happening. I didn't 
I knew I knew the uh, rhetoric was fierce this election, but it was fierce in 2016. I really just didn't anticipate the candidates just yelling at each other for the entirety of the debate. Okay, uh, Doc, I think your hand was up next. Uh, yeah, I I I agree with you where you said uh, Wallace had to chastise Trump, but he also would press Trump for details on some of the positions took uh, that Trump took, but he would just gloss over something that Biden said. Uh, I mean, he wouldn't press Biden for any detail on a position he took. Okay. Noah. Um, so watching this debate, honestly, going in, I had, I was very nervous because I did not know how this honestly was going to go. So to me, like watching this debate, honestly, as just, this is my first time voting for president because I, uh, the last election, I missed it by a month. And so this is my first time voting. And honestly, this kind of like hurt me a little because I was like, no offense. These are our two potential best candidates that are running for office. And I mean, they couldn't even have a civil debate discussing what was going on and i kind of honestly like when watching it me and my like family felt bad for chris because he was like this poor man's just trying to do his job he was independently appointed and this poor man was just like you guys need to stop interrupting each other and just watching it it was just really disheartening to see like that none of them would agree i mean like trump even during the uh, uh supposed two minutes uninterrupted would interrupt biden and I mean, like, no offense, that two minutes is kind of when they're going to lay out a policy potentially. And I felt like just their whole time, I was just watching an interruption going on, no matter what would happen. Faith. I agree with Noah, um, for sure. I think a big feeling that I felt with just the whole layout of everything was I was just very frustrated. I feel like there was so much interrupting and Chris was trying to take control, but again, was constantly bombarded. And also, too, at the end of the debate, one of the... Um, Polls actually showed that when they asked um, uh, voters and viewers how they felt about the outcome, most uh, 69% of them said they actually felt annoyed. And I think a big part of that had to do with just the whole layout of it and Chris kind of being unable to kind of take the reins and take control of the situation, really to some fault of his own, but also to not a lot of fault of his own. Olivia. I do just want to point out that Trump has already, like, it's not surprising that he made his comment that he was debating Chris Wallace as well, um, or that the right has kind of pushed this narrative because um, Chris Wallace is a a, a spokesman for Fox News, um, but he's also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he's a registered Democrat the last time I checked, and he's like the only person on Fox News that everybody knows attacks Trump um, and holds Trump accountable when um, other, you know, people on Fox News don't. So uh, Trump has already had his beef with Chris Wallace. Um, and, you know, I think Chris, I, I actually disagree with uh, what Doc said. I think Chris Wallace did kind of um, when Biden would get off topic or when Biden wasn't giving the exact answer or um, responding to the exact question that was asked. Chris Wallace did kind of push him like, no, that's not what I'm asking. This is what I'm asking. Um, so I'm not saying that he acted with bias. But I'm not surprised that, you know, that Trump feels that he did because he already had problems with Chris Wallace. Okay. And uh, we should point out that actually during the debate, that was something that uh, President Trump alluded to. And so it's maybe not unsurprising that that was picked up with and amplified, especially again on media that maybe runs more right of center. Doc. I just wanted to say at the end of the debate, 
when it was all over and they put Chris Wallace on the screen, the man looked like he had taken a beating. <laughs> I mean, he just looked exhausted. Yeah. I felt sorry for him. Yeah, I think I think we can all agree that it was a it was a tough night for Chris Wallace for sure. Uh Skyler. Yeah, Chris Wallace unfortunately had had a definite night uh during the debate, but I feel he he did he did do well, but with Trump and Biden being our two candidates this election and him having to moderate their debate last, uh this past Tuesday. Um I truly couldn't understand what was being said some of the times because they just they just kept talking over each other. And it was very hard for me personally. Um, And even my roommate who was watching it with me, we were just struggling to decipher what each of them were saying because there was so much overlap between their voices and could even hear all three different all three men's voices going on at the same time. And I just couldn't. My ADHD brain just could not handle that. Right. and I feel that he didn't really act with bias. I feel like Trump just continuously used personal attacks throughout the debate. It was rather unprofessional, like he was doing personal digs at at Biden's late son, Bo, and his uh, his drug addict son. He was making personal attacks. And I feel like uh, Wallace just did not have have the have the I can't really think of a word. I'm sorry. Um, he didn't have his wits about him for yeah. this for this debate, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little kind of going on that theme about you know the debate making it difficult, perhaps to not perhaps making it difficult to really get into substantive policy discussions. What sort of format do you think would be better, or what would you suggest? Having watched that, maybe if it was your first debate, or maybe if you've seen others. In thinking about it, what sort of format do you think would best serve the American public or would better serve the American public than what is their sort of bipartisan agreement that this was not it? What sort of changes would you like to see? Doc? Well, you asked the question before about cutting off the mic, and I think that would be perfect. I mean, when when one or the other candidates has the floor to speak, the other candidate's microphone could be disabled or at, at even further extreme, maybe they put them up both in a glass box. <laughs> I don't know. So they so they can't interrupt one another and talk over one another because that drives me nuts too. Yeah, it's weird you mentioned that, Doc. The glass box idea, soundproof box, is actually something that I I thought about myself. Talk about wild visuals, but but yeah, and I should also point out that the I believe the Commission on Presidential Debates is is thinking about or planning perhaps instituting some changes based on this, and one may very well be giving the moderator the ability to mute or lower the volume on the person who actually is not supposed to be having that time. We'll see if that if that actually comes out into practice. Uh, Skylar. Uh, Doc took the words right out of my mouth. I I can say that those that three very loud men's voices is not my favorite sound. So having the ability to cut maybe the their mics at a certain time when they're interrupting or being disrespectful, I feel like that would cut down on the amount of 
overlap between their voices and might add a little bit of substance to their debate. Uh, not sure if what they would be saying within their two minutes that their mic was on would come out of their mouth, but it would it would be a a little bit of a stepping stone to help rein in the debates in the future. And do you think that that's what the American public really wants? And I guess I'm thinking about how what reality TV looks like, certainly something that President Trump is no stranger to. And and it seems to me that there's a you know, there's a lot of overlap in, in terms of reality TV and what we saw a lot of yelling and screaming and people talking over and each other and so forth. And based on ratings and how many shows there are, it seems like that's what what people enjoy. And so do you think people would tune into a truly substantive debate or would it just be seen as kind of boring and unimportant? What do you think? Uh, let's see. A lot of hands up for that. Olivia. Um, I Maybe it's my age and maybe it's that um, you know, my friends and a lot of the people that I, that I've gone to school with and everything weren't old enough to be interested, but I know a lot of people who are not that interested in politics who watch this debate. And I've heard a lot of people, even, um, like moderator or not moderators, even like journalists, um, talking about how this was like a train wreck, but you couldn't look away, um, in that way. And I think like your comment about reality TV, I think that's exactly true that, um, even though I don't think this really serves the public because it was hard to actually hear what candidates or for the candidates to even have a chance to speak on their policies because there was so much arguing. Um, I think that draws people in. I think that's more interesting. Um, I personally probably would have been more bored with a debate that was um, uh, better handled, better uh, controlled. Um, I, don't, I don't know. And I also think that it serves Biden um, for Trump to be acting a fool like he did and interrupting him. I think Biden supporters are feeling sorry for Biden and thinking that Trump looked like an idiot. And I think Trump supporters are like, oh, no, like he's he's tough and he'll be tough on foreign policy. And Biden was submissive and that's how he'll be as president. Um, I think, honestly, both campaigns probably feel that it served them to not have the mics cut off because, you know, they were acting how um, their base wants to see them act. Okay. Hey. Um. I agree with the entertainment factor. It definitely suffice for a lot more, I guess, entertainment and perhaps ratings. But I think it really will just depend on what it is that the listener is looking for. I think cutting the mic would be really great in terms of probably getting more policy out of the candidates. But also it does draw away from the fact that maybe more people won't go in. But also it's going to depend on, too, like, are the people who are watching, like, are they actually going out to vote? Like, are those people watching, trying to be more informed on the candidates? Or is it just more of the entertainment factor? Uh, Noah. I honestly have to agree with the entertainment statement. Like, I remember, like, it was during the debate when Biden, like, when Trump kept on interrupting, he literally just said, just shut up, man. And I mean, like, honestly, I know I probably shouldn't have laughed because it was a debate, but I was laughing because I was just like, Honestly, never in my life did I think a debate would have just shut up because honestly, like, again, I'm just pointing back like this kind of was reality TV. It literally just think of any reality TV show that any of you have watched and just literally think about like two people that have literally attacked each other for no reason that just argue in wherever they're at. And honestly, I was just like, am I watching a presidential debate or am I watching Jersey Shore? Because honestly, that's what it was like for me. And so I honestly, to an extent, kind of agree with what um, Faith and Olivia were saying. Like, it does add the entertainment aspect. 
But I kind of feel like to an extent, we need to have the mic cutoffs just in case like it has to become an option. Like if let's say the next debate Biden keeps on interrupting Trump, like we need to cut off his microphone so Trump can actually have something to say. Like we need to actually have that option just in case one of them continuously interrupts so we can actually hear their policies because that's the thing. Some of the policy stuff is like on their website that they went, I would have liked to know more about it than what they just explicitly said on the website. I was like, and we didn't get that because of the interruption. So I feel like we need to have that option. All right. Ellen. I'm sorry. This week I must just be the contrarian. I, <laughs> um, I, th- I don't think people want that. What we saw last night in a presidential debate, it was awkward. It was uncomfortable. You couldn't look away, but like, you could. I know my own parents turned off the TV after five minutes because that's just how disgusted they were by the debate. It was awful. And if that's what the American people, I don't think that's what the American people want. I really don't. I don't think that's what they want. They want to hear the president's policies. They want to hear the vice president, former vice president's policies. I mean, it's, I guess you could make the argument that it's entertaining, but I don't think that's what we want from politics. I hope that's not what we want from politics. And as for cutting off the mic, I mean, if that's really, if we've reached that point, fine. But I don't know. I feel feel like we're losing something by doing that. We're losing some sense of civility, some sense of decency by doing that. But it's just giving in. It's saying, yep, we're defeated. We got to cut off the mic because they're just incapable of having a discussion at this point. I don't know. It's just disappointing. Right. Tyler. I agree with pretty much everybody, even though the opinions are all over. Like, I'm very mixed about this. I just looked up, like, the viewership for the last debate. Um, and surprisingly, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton's very first debate had a 13% more viewership rate. And Donald Trump's first debates with both Biden and Hillary are in the top three most watched debates in the history of the U.S. Uh, and I think that not necessarily the American people want a reality show like debate, um, because I would agree with Noah that I couldn't determine if I was watching a reality TV show or an actual debate. Um, the Jersey Shore comment was funny. Um, but I feel that not the American people want this, but I feel that Donald Trump personally wants this reality show set up. Because he has his brand deals from The Apprentice slowly drying up as he is taking the office. And he has started to create this like drama within the White House. Like he is always looking for something to start something. Um, the viewer, the viewers, he wants them to basically think it's a train wreck and not be able to look away because that's what reality is. Ah. I- I, I just have one thing that I'd like to say is I think they ought to mute the mic on the guy that's not talking, but I think they ought to do it on a split screen because Trump makes some great facial expressions when he's when other people say something. So I'd love to see a split screen up there just, just to see the facial reaction of what's going on. Some of those reactions were pretty interesting, that's for sure. Olivia. 
I just want to respond to what Alan was saying really quick. Um, I want to make it clear. I don't want this. This is not what I want. But I also have never wanted Trump as my president. I've never wanted that either. Um, And Trump has kind of used this like entertainment factor to appeal to his base throughout his entire presidency. Um, And he's kind of run on this like I'm not a normal president and I'm not a politician and like I'm different and I get things done and I don't, you know, I don't have to, like a lot of his supporters say that they like the way that he speaks, even though it certainly is not very eloquent or like well-spoken because he's, you know, he's not above the people and he relates to the people and he speaks like the people he's talking to. Like Trump is just such a non-traditional president and he's, like his Twitter is so unpresidential and the way he carried himself in the debate was not presidential. Um, but his base eats that up. His base loves that. So I just, I just want to clarify, I agree with what Alan was saying that this is not ideal. This is not what I want to see the debates look like. Um, but I'm not, you know, I, it seems like a lot of the American public does want that. Um, because of like Skylar was saying the ratings, I think it was Skylar was saying that the ratings on, on Trump's debates have been higher. More people have been watching them. And I think it's because of Trump's like reality TV, like non-traditional personality that people are like drawn to it and entertained by it. Let's, let's talk a little bit about where in the debate you saw Donald Trump uh, looking the strongest, looking the best, coming out maybe the most, uh, uh, if not presidential, having the strongest points. Where, where were those moments in the debate where you thought, "Oh, that was that went well for President Trump"? Ah, well, the very first topic they talked about was the Supreme Court. Uh, Trump started off very articulate about that. And when they got to Biden, he did not answer the question. Uh, He did not. He went off and started talking about uh, Obamacare, the ACA, uh, Roe versus Wade. He talked about COVID. He did not talk about uh, the Supreme Court. Uh, He just he just let that go completely. he did not answer the questions about whether he would pack the court. He did not answer the questions about would he end a filibuster. Uh, he was all over the place. Okay. And, and certainly he also, I know President Trump also made a point of mentioning all of the judicial nominations that he has been able to fill. And for a lot of conservatives, judicial nominations, not just to the Supreme Court, but the lower courts are a very big deal and and certainly something that President Trump wanted to and was able to remind them of the fact that he has done for them. Uh, Olivia. I'm going to defend Biden a little bit on him because uh, this is something I've heard from even the people I was watching the debate with that um, he he kept getting off topic and that like, why did he switch to Obamacare and Roe v. Wade? Um, that's because he knows that this is what is at stake um, with Amy Coney Barrett's um, appointment. If she's confirmed, um, Obamacare and Roe v. Wade are at stake. Um, so I think that's why he brought it up to kind of further, you know, uh, hone in on on that that fear for his base that we're gonna we're gonna lose health care and we're gonna lose um he kept saying 20 million people who who, um rely on obamacare will lose their health care and i think he was just kind of um uh highlighting the 
uh, importance of this issue. However, I really was disappointed that he didn't bring up the hypocrisy because, um, you know, Trump's right that that it's not unconstitutional for the Supreme Court to vote on his nomination um, and and confirm um, Amy Coney Barrett. It's not unconstitutional. However, it is hypocritical. And I wish Biden would have said that. Um, I know he was being interrupted and he didn't, you know, throughout the whole debate, he didn't uh, get to say a lot of the things that maybe he would have because he was being talked over. But um, I wish he would have brought up what the what uh, Senate did to Obama and that they wouldn't even hold a vote on Obama's nomination because they said it was too close to the end of his presidency. But here we are a month before the election um, and they're willing to vote on Trump's nomination. I wish that Biden would have brought that up. Skyler. Uh, Olivia also took the words right out of my mouth. Um, but I I do agree that um, Biden was talking about Roe v. Wade and COVID and healthcare because all of these things are intertwined with the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has has the ability to either add add these add more laws to help our healthcare or take away the pre existing ones. Um, and I feel that Biden's emphasis on all of those issues in regards to being asked about the Supreme Court, he understands that. With a Supreme Court justice, those those issues are on the line, that they are at risk at being stripped away from the American people. Um, and also the hypocrisy, like Olivia mentioned, I really found it astounding that Biden didn't mention anything about how Republicans were, were vehemently against Obama, uh, Obama's Supreme Court nominee. And they denied him and wouldn't vote on it. They just didn't even entertain the idea. But here we are less than a month from the election, like Olivia said. Um, and here we are about ready to get another Supreme Court justice under the Trump administration when we are so close to a election that we don't know the outcome. Looking at it, like we won't know. It's very hard to tell if Trump's going to win in November or if Biden's going to win at this point still. What about on law and order? That was a topic that came up, and it's a phrase that President Trump uh, often uh, invokes, sometimes just in tweets that just say law and order in all caps, oftentimes. Uh, was, that a, was that a topic, you think, in which maybe if he didn't convince you that that message resonated with the American public? Things like when he said, you know, we could have we would have gone into Portland and places like this and cleaned things up right away, but they wouldn't let us. I mean, is that is that contrast, you think, that he attempted to draw between himself and Joe Biden on that? Do you think that was a uh, a helpful contrast for the president? Olivia? Maybe to his base, um, his base already knows that he's, you know, like you said, constantly tweeting law and order. Um, so I don't think that was anything new for them. Um, however, what I really, really liked, I think, you know, this might have actually helped Biden that he kept uh, dogging Biden on this because I loved when Biden said law and order and justice. Um, he finally said it, but he added and justice um, because Biden's acknowledging that um, we want law and order, but on the, con the condition that these demands are met um, and that there's a difference between, uh, as MLK calls it, negative peace and positive peace, which Trump has not um, acknowledged at all. And negative peace is where, yes, we return to a state of calmness um, because you know, all the protests have been shut down and silenced, but the injustice is still there and the system is still corrupt. Positive peace is where, you know, the 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 violence and the destruction ends because the 
problem is solved. Um, and and Biden addressed that we have yet to solve that problem. However, um, he also called out Trump on that um, we've never we've never achieved equity in the United States, racial equality, um, but we've never turned our backs on it either. And he, he said that this is the first time under Trump's presidency that we've stopped walking forward and we stopped making progress and we've turned our backs and started taking steps backwards. Um, so I think Trump actually set Biden up to make some really strong points for um, minority voters um, with his comments about law and order. Hey, Doc. Uh, I like the way Trump said he has the backing of just about every law enforcement agency uh, that you can name. Uh, I think that having Biden come out and say Antifa is just an idea, not an organization, uh, was uh, quite interesting. Uh, because Antifa is an organization. Um, but I think Trump, and I, I agree with the uh, Justice Department uh, part of what you're saying. Uh, just keep in mind that uh, half of my uh, children and uh, grandchildren are police officers and very good ones, as a fact. So, uh, you know, I stand on the side of uh, a law and order for sure. And I just want to make a make a point on that. A couple of things. Number one is that uh, President Trump uh, did, and it seemed to me actually it was a pretty strong point where he asked Joe Biden to mention any law enforcement group that supported him, and and Joe Biden wasn't able to do that. But on the Antifa thing, I should point out that. Uh, President Trump's own FBI director said that Antifa is, is an ideology and not an organization. Uh, Alan. Uh, yeah, um, I honestly think this was one of his weaker sections because of a very um, particular statement that was questionable when he when they were talking about denouncing white supremacists during the section and they brought up the Proud Boys and he said, stand back and stand by. And. I mean, the stand back wasn't necessarily controversial, but the stand by wasn't. Seems that he's still struggling to outright denounce white supremacist groups. And I know Senator Tim Scott, one of the few African American Republicans, who said uh, white supremacy should be denounced at every turn. And I think the president misspoke, and he needs to correct it. If he doesn't correct it, I guess he didn't misspeak. And it's the fact that um, he's still not able to outright say, "Yeah, Proud Boys, they're bad." On a national debate stage, it doesn't. It's it's just not a good look. Okay, and and so you, you don't think, uh, Alan? I guess I'm asking this to everyone as well. You don't think it's enough that the president essentially said uh, uh, that he was willing to, or he denounced uh, he denounced uh, white nationalism without mentioning specific groups and so forth. If in, in looking at the transcripts, it seems to me that you can certainly read what the president said as uh, when Chris Wallace asked him, he said, sure, I'm willing to do that. And it sounds to me like a number of people, certainly in the media, I've heard saying that's not enough of a denunciation of white supremacy. Is that, do you agree with that? Or is the president being being unfairly criticized for this? What do you uh, what do you think? Uh, let's see. Faith. 
Yeah, I completely agree. It's not enough. Um, Trump is the president of the United States. And especially in a time in the country where there's so much division, I think him not directly condemning white supremacy just shows that he's not looking to bring the country together and only continuing to divide. Um, to me, why are you so gung-ho on getting the white supremacist vote? Denounce them and be the leader that the country needs right now. Okay. Uh, let's see. Noah. Um, I also agree with Faith. I mean, it's very plain and simple on how to just denounce this. I mean, you literally just have to say, I denounce white supremacy. Very simple statement to just make. You don't have to name a specific organization. because Trust me, there's a thousand. But I mean, just that simple statement. I mean, as he stated multiple times before, he has done uh, so much for African-Americans and Blacks um, as much. He's done more, th- um, more for them since Lincoln has. And so, I mean, for him to get up on that stage and also state that during the debate, I think it's kind of just him shooting himself in the foot, really, because on stage, he's not denouncing it. He said, sure, I will. But he never truly stated that. So I think it was him at this point just showing kind of his true colors, because I mean, like, why would you not denounce it? I mean, like, it's I mean, like, I don't think any of us here have a problem with denouncing it. So I feel like, why would you not denounce it if you're afraid of something? Okay, I think I'm 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 going to go out on a limb here and say that all of us here are against white nationalism. Uh, but, but in terms of whether or not a specific denunciation was was made or is necessary, or one wasn't made. Uh, Skyler, with his Proud Boys comment, um, I noticed that Biden actually mentioned the the group by name, and Biden, and Trump just took that name out of his mouth and just rolled with it. Um, so. He wasn't even sure if it was a real organization. He just heard the the name come out of Biden's mouth and he just said it. Um, but I also feel like he wasn't so direct in saying I'm against white supremacies because he doesn't want to lose their vote. He is uh, his the support. The people that are part of the Proud Boys, they were online celebrating that comment. It was all over the Internet. They were saying, of course, Trump. Uh, yes, sir. And they were, I, it kind of spooked me at the amount of white nationalists coming forward on the internet, uh, congratulating the president for the debate and basically giving them free advertisement. Um, and I feel like he's just not ready to lose their vote because he's so close to the election and he doesn't know if he's going to win. So by denouncing white supremacy, he's not going to get those votes. I want to move on to something uh, actually one of our listeners asked, and this is uh, uh, the question from one of our listeners on the Bipartisan Politics Reddit group, uh, Fossil Freak 68. I love some of the usernames. I asks he or she asks, I don't know, uh, what do you think the candidates were tra- hoping to accomplish with the debate? And do you think they were able to accomplish these goals? So let's start with President Trump. What do you think he was trying to accomplish, trying to do in this debate? And do you think he did it? Faith? I really think one of Trump's main goals of the whole debate was to kind of just maybe interrupt Biden to a point where he gets flustered and says something like, frankly, stupid, Um, which I think to a point like he did. um, Biden ended up calling Trump a clown like, said, hey, will you shut up, man? And I think um, even like his campaign strategist said that one of his main goals was just for Biden to stay on track. So I think in terms of kind of achieving that goal, Trump was maybe successful, but probably not to the point that they would have hoped so. Okay. 
Olivia. Um, also, like I said before, I think Trump uh, wanted to look tough on Biden because I know that the narrative is that, well, OK, if he's tough on Biden, um, you know how tough he is as president and how tough he is on foreign powers and whatever. But um, I, I think Trump never once was trying to speak to the people on his policies. Trump was just attacking Biden the entire time. I think his his goal more so than actually, you know, making himself look good was making Biden look bad. I don't think Trump even cared about making himself look good. I think he just wanted to attack Biden and make, you know, bring up things that should not have been brought up in a debate about Biden. Um, Biden, I think, did a much better job when he had the chance to at um, actually speaking to the people and connecting with the people, which I think was one of his goals. Um, he he um, brought up images of, you know, how many of you woke up today and had an empty seat at the dinner ta- or the breakfast table um, from someone who you've lost to COVID. And um, rem- think back to close your eyes and think back to Charlottesville and the torches and the, he said something like absolute vile that was coming out of these people's mouths. And he did a really good job of actually looking into the camera and, and connecting with people at home who were watching. Um, and I think that was more his goal than just attacking Trump was trying to connect with people and, uh, and get their votes. And he tried to talk about his policy a little bit. There were a few times that he actually talked about a plan that he had. Um, one was climate change. Uh, he also talked a little bit about his health care plan. Um, so I think, you know, his was more so talk to the people, tell them what they need to hear. Um, and I think he did as good of a job as he could with that. Um, so, Doc. I think Trump was trying to get Biden to come out and say what he, what he really thinks. I mean, he got him to say he does not support the Green New Deal. Uh, Biden said that. Now, I don't believe that, but he got him to say it. Um, Whoever asked the question seems to be an environmentalist by their name. Uh, They went through a uh, bit of an exchange on climate change. Uh, Trump was very... uh, very adamant about what was going on in California, uh, that it could have been uh, avoided by good forest management, uh, better governance. uh, And Biden said things like, we're going to build new highways and we're going to build electric cars and we're going to tear down all these buildings and weatherize them. And I mean, he went on and on about stopping hurricanes and tornadoes, which, I, I mean, I believe climate changes, but I believe climate changes. And, and, and it's going to keep on changing. And, and that's a topic, in fact, we're going to devote uh, considerable time to in, uh, in an upcoming episode of that. So we'll definitely get more on that. And. You know, one one point you made about that, Doc, is something a lot of folks have suggested is that Donald Trump and the Trump campaign has, has been trying to sort of let give people the impression, whether truly or not, that if even if Joe Biden isn't necessarily far left, he's captured by the far left. And so some people felt that the president's remarks during the debate, for instance, at one point, I believe it was during the Green New Deal uh, discussion when President Trump said to Joe Biden, well, you've just lost the left, actually 
hurt the president, because if on the one hand, the campaign is trying to make the argument that Joe Biden is far left, but then the president himself during the debate says, well, you're going against the far left, that might be potentially problematic for the president's message, or at least the consistency of it. Uh, let me let me ask you, uh, kind of going into that, a, a bigger question. Who won the debate? And I guess we need to think about what we mean by winning a debate. So I'm going to kind of step in and say, it doesn't really matter if you're after a debate, the people who are already going to vote for a person still vote for them. So we're going to stipulate that winning means somehow changing minds or moving the narrative in your direction in a way that's going to help you electorally. So with that in mind, who do you think won this debate and why? Olivia. Um, So I think I mentioned before, I don't think, I think Trump's base liked his performance, but I don't think he brought anybody to his side. Um, I'm going to say Biden won the debate 100,000% because as I was saying, he actually took the time to look into the camera and connect with people. And I know it made me feel something when he was uh, more multiple times when he brought up uh, COVID and, and empathized with people's loss because we have over 200,000 um, families who are grieving right now. And he, he, did something that Trump has yet to do, which is, you know, use his time on the debate stage to connect with those people and say, I understand your experience and I share your experience. Um, he also was able to talk about important issues like Obamacare. Um, and he answered my question personally. My question was, uh, who will qualify for the private option or the public option? Um, and Trump was attacking him saying, this is socialism. And as you were saying before, Trump's like, platform for attacking Biden was, oh, you're you're just like Bernie Sanders. You're a socialist. Um, and Biden distinguished himself from Bernie Sanders. I think he did a good job of that. Um, and Bernie Sanders even said, no, like, you know, I'm not offended by that. We're two different candidates. And um, Trump can't just keep criticizing Biden for things that are not his policy. I think Biden did do a good job of saying, no, this was Bernie's uh, stance and this is my stance. It's different. Um, he talked about uh, how he actually supports the police. Um, Trump keeps trying to push this narrative that Biden wants to defund the police. Um, and, and Biden said, no, that's not true. I actually support um, putting more funding into the police, into local police uh, forces, whereas Trump is trying to cut uh, police funds. Um, and, you know, because we need to have not just police officers showing up at scenes, but we also need psychologists and people with expertise in medicine. Um, I just think Biden made a lot of, even though it seemed like he was being talked over a lot um, and he was just arguing a lot, I think he did make a lot of um, substantial points on policy and on his stances of things and differentiating, differentiating himself from uh, from the, you know, quote unquote, socialist uh, left wing. Um, I think he did a much better job than Trump. Okay. And and that actually leads into a question that another listener asked, Mevred. He wanted to know, were there any policy things that you learned anything new. And Olivia, it sounds like there were some questions that you had that you got answers to. What about anyone else? What, was there anything, you know, substance wise that you came out of that debate feeling like you had more information than you went in? Anyone other than, than Olivia, who you already mentioned you did. What do you what do you think? Alan? I learned about weatherizing, which <laughs> I had no clue about. I mean, right. we already talked about it, but there wasn't much else other than that, because Obviously, they were arguing for most of it. But yeah, I did learn quite a bit more about Biden's um, and even Trump's environmental policies. So I guess that was a, something that came out of it. Okay. 
anyone else? Did anyone else feel like you came out of this learning anything new or were the candidates pretty much who you thought they were? Noah. Um, I definitely agree with that last statement. It's kind of, I mean, like, again, I went in there with that nervous gut feeling. I don't even know why I was just watching. And I mean, like, I, I just like remember going back to 2016 and I just, I'm like, this is kind of basically what happened, I think, but just a little bit worse. Cause I mean, like, honestly, there were just jabs at people. And I mean, like, it was not like policy oriented. It was like, let me just see, like, I'm the better person. I'm the bigger person here. And so to me, I think a lot of American people are truly seeing like what issues like are becoming now with running for president. I mean, like everybody says I could run for president, but I mean, like, this is truly like a difficult job. And I think watching this debate, it kind of made me upset us to be an American citizen because it was like, I'm watching these two people run for presidency and here they are yelling at each other. They can't even have a civil debate about policy that they support or do not support. Only they can do is interrupt and say, shut up and all this other stuff. So to me, watching this debate, it kind of hurt me. Like, and I know I keep saying that, but I mean, like, that's how I felt. And it was like, watching and watching this over and over it was just me like just walk. i mean like honestly after a point for our class i had to stop taking notes because i was just so in shock i had to rewatch it because i was so in shock by how immature these people acted and when watching this i'm like no offense this is not what i see as a president and so that's what happened to me okay and no, I'll tell you, you're not alone. I actually couldn't bring myself to, to watch it live. I knew I'd be too upset before going to sleep. But so I actually watched it on YouTube the next day. And I did take more than a few breaks to sort of play with the dogs and do some other things and kind of get myself re-energized. So I totally hear where you're coming from there. Doc? There was something I noticed in the presentation of both candidates. They never did a full-face picture of Trump. But when Biden made a point, you would get a full-screen picture of Joe Biden, who looked like a wounded puppy dog. And I just, I don't know if they planned that or what the idea was, but it... I mean, it really, it really got to me. I'd look at him and go, how could you hurt this man? You know, but uh, like I say, I don't know if that was planned or not. Okay, Olivia. I also just want to add on, I think Alan brought up that he learned what weatherizing was. Um, And I actually learned a lot from the climate change section, even though they were a little bit hostile with each other. Um, I also didn't know what weatherizing was, but I also like I hadn't thought about, um, I think a strong point that Biden made is that we already spend like everyone says that we can't afford the Green New Deal. And, you know, even though Biden says that Green New Deal is not his policy, he has his own policy and his own plan. But, um, you know, Trump's is that this is too expensive. We can't afford um, all of these precautions and these preventative measures for climate change. Um, but Biden kind of clapped back and said, well, it's already, we're already having to pay for, you know, damage control and for um, reconstruction after hurricanes come through and, and, and wipe out in entire cities. And, um, and, you know, forest fires are taking out so much of California. And um, Trump had made his 
dog whistle comment that I appreciated Biden pointing out being a dog whistle that we're going to lose the suburbs. And Biden came back to, well, we're already losing suburbs with forest fires. Um, And I think I hadn't ever really thought about that we're spending so much money responding to disasters that um, perhaps could be prevented and better controlled if we got the climate into a better position. Um, so I think that was a strong point that Biden made that I hadn't thought about. And I also hadn't thought about all of the, you know, how this deal could eventually pay for itself if we're creating all kinds of new jobs in, you know, weatherizing buildings and, um, and uh, using, you know, solarizing buildings. So um, I, 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 that was something I learned. Okay. One thing that I noticed is toward the end of the debate, Joe Biden made, I would say, an impassioned plea for people to vote. And he seemed to feel clearly very strongly about that. And that ties in, I think, very well to a question a little while back. A listener wrote in to ask Ben wanted to know, uh, given the fact that voting is especially or percentages that are especially low for younger voters and most of you that that would be that would be your category category there. He wanted to know what ideas you had, uh, what incentives there could be on a national level to engage younger voters to vote in elections. And so why don't we close with that today? What do you think? What what are we not doing enough of what should be what what could happen to make people under the age of 25 vote more often? What do you think? Not more often, more than once, but, you know, anyway, Faith. Um, a big thing for me that I actually talked to a couple of um, friends of mine about who don't kind of see an importance of voting is they're like, why would I take off work when I'm, my vote's probably not going to matter? So perhaps making the election day a national holiday where people get work off just so people don't have to kind of have that deterrence like what do I value more important my job going to school that day trying to find a babysitter things like that but if it was a day off perhaps like they could be more inclined to go vote okay doc if I was a younger person I would be so so insulted by this I mean if you're under 21 you can't buy a pack of cigarettes you can't buy beer. The government decides pretty much how you come and go. But then they want you to vote. Uh, you take psychology classes. You learn that your prefrontal cortex is not actually developed to make decisions rational decisions until you're about 25 or so. So this whole idea kind of bothers me. That that inconsistency where there are things like, well, not just what you mentioned, but military service being another thing, certainly. But okay, Olivia. I think there could be an incentive um, as like regarding taxes. Um, Like maybe either you get like, even if it's a small tax credit um, for voting, if you, you know, have have proof that you registered to vote or that you went and voted, um, even if it's, you know, like $10, $15 tax credit, like that is, you know, could be enough incentive if people know that like, and I know people should understand that you don't need to be paid or you don't need, you know, another option would be to like fine people a small fine for not voting. And I'm sure, you know, there's legality behind that, but I, I people shouldn't have to be paid or fined to vote. 
But for people who just don't pay attention to politics and they're apathetic about it, maybe that would incentivize people to, you know, start paying attention. The the real what you get out of voting should be, you know, that it matters because the policies are going to affect you. But for people who don't really think about that or don't understand it, maybe if there was an actual like financial incentive, even in the form of like a small tax break to go vote, maybe that would get more people to. Okay. I should point out that kind of along those lines, Australia actually has uh, mandatory, well, not so much voting. You have to show up. And even if it's to say, I don't want to vote for either of these clowns, you do have to show up. And there is a small fine for failing to do so. And I believe Australia's turnout is in the low 90s compared to our for presidential elections, somewhere in the low 60 percent of eligible voters. Skyler. I feel that we have a country that is too individualized. We are all worried about ourselves, our jobs, our school assignments, and everything. Um, and I feel like adding a little bit more incentive a little, or a reward will kickstart people to thinking, hey, maybe I should vote. Because like Doc said, um, at 18, the only thing you can do now is go into the military, drive, and vote. <laughs> because with the tobacco being raised to age 21 and then alcohol already being 21, your your right to vote is the first is the first like step into adulthood, if that makes sense. You're you're of age to finally make political decisions. And our country just hasn't put a precedent on that um, enough, especially even now, but we've seen higher rates of like turnout, even with the most recent election since Trump has been elected into office. Okay. Well, I, with that, we need to wrap things up. But again, before we go, I want to remind everyone listening that if you have a question for us, please let us know. It's at mail at politicsguys.com through email or you can post a comment in the episode link. We'll put up in our Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And we would love to take your question and get to it as soon as we possibly can. And if in addition to this series on the 2020 elections and our regular weekend show, you would like a third full-length Politics Guys episode every week, you can get that by becoming a Patreon supporter. Supporters also get ad-free versions of everything as well as other good stuff. And you can check all that out at patreon.com slash politics guys and if you can't afford to become a supporter just send me an email mike at politicsguys.com and i will get you set up with full access to all of our content also something that doesn't cost anything is subscribing to the show leaving ratings and reviews and especially sharing episodes on social media that is really a big deal to us and we really would appreciate if you could do that and for more discussions, you can always check out our Bipartisan Politics subreddit. The URL is in the show notes. Also, again, that Facebook page, facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And we're on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producers of Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Morano, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Chris Wilkerson, and Nathan Sosnowski. We'll be back with our weekly news roundup and analysis show on Saturday and the next segment in our election 2020 series on Thursday. We hope you'll join us.